failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Welcome to this edition of Century of Lies. I'm glad you could be with us. I'm up in Seattle at the Seattle Hemp Fest. Uh, some folks would say I'm on vacation, but the truth be told, I'm working as usual, and I'll be bringing you some great reports next week on this program from the Seattle Hemp Fest. But in the interim, I guess, hey, maybe I am on vacation. We're going to present a series of archived and current reports from the Drug Truth Network reporters that show that the drug lords run both sides of this equation. Here to kickstart things for us is Doug McVeigh. Afghanistan is turning into a suicide mission. The Sinless Council is a European foundation which focuses on international security and development issues. Earlier this week, the Council put out a report entitled Canada in Kandahar, No Peace to Keep. According to the Sinless Council, quote, Canadian troops and Afghan civilians are paying with their lives for Canada's adherence to the U.S. government's failing military and counter-narcotics policies in Kandahar. The U.S.-led counter-terrorist operations and militaristic poppy eradication strategies have triggered a new war with the Taliban and other insurgent groups and are causing countless civilian deaths, end quote. Meanwhile, the English newspaper The Independent reported Thursday that the British officer about to take command of NATO operations in Afghanistan is also warning that the crop eradication program there is driving farmers to the Taliban and making the situation even more dangerous. Lieutenant General David Richards is taking over in Afghanistan, just as NATO is preparing to take over responsibility for security in the South from the U.S. According to Reuters, the violence this year in Afghanistan is the worst since the invasion in 2001. More than 1,000 people have died, including 50 foreign troops so far this year. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. Next up, an archived Poppygate report from Drug Truth Network reporter Glenn Greenway. Since becoming DEA Administrator in July 2003, Karen Tandy has overseen three years of record Afghan opium crops, now estimated at 5,000 tons annually, which provide 92% of the world's heroin. This week, she told a U.S. House committee that her agency is making, quote, great progress, end quote, in addressing the issue. In Afghanistan, token eradication efforts led by U.S. corporation DynCor have backfired badly. The British officer, due to take overall command of NATO operations in Afghanistan, this week warned that the eradication program was driving farmers into the hands of the Taliban. Another British commander in Afghanistan is quoted as saying, quote, So far, eradication has been a disaster, and we are putting as much distance from it as we can, end quote. Canada's Prime Minister Stephen Harper this week defended his country's controversial troop presence in Afghanistan, carefully adding, quote, of course, we're not directly involved in the eradication, end quote. Antonio Maria Costa, the Executive Director of UN Office on Drugs and Crime, stated this week in Moscow that drugs are now U.S.-occupied Afghanistan's largest employer, income generator, source of capital, export, and foreign investment. He called for international action to reduce heroin demand, which he called, quote, the mother of all drug control challenges. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. 
Drug war is racism. Slavery, Jim Crow, drug war, it's all just racism, pure and simple. Drug laws are based on the racist premise that drugs are bad for the, quote, inferior races, unquote, who do not have the moral force to resist temptation. A century ago, it was Asians smoking opium in dark dens who were vilified as seducers of white women. Strict laws against smoking opium were enacted, though whites were still able to drink opium as laudanum. Revolution in Mexico back in 1910 resulted in large numbers of Mexican peasants emigrating to America. They worked hard in low-paying agricultural jobs and smoked marijuana to relax. It was much cheaper than cerveza and tequila. And they were tolerated until the Dust Bowl and Great Depression displaced millions of white workers. Suddenly, the Mexicans were in the way. Police officers in Texas claimed that marijuana incited violent crimes, aroused a lust for blood, and gave its users superhuman strength. Though totally absurd, such claims were used as an excuse to arrest and deport Mexicans by the thousands and to jail and imprison thousands of others. Today, the issue is cocaine and the laws that punish black cocaine users more severely than whites. It's not science. It's not medicine. And it's not public safety. It's racism. Bare, ugly racism. And only you can end it. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. I think this is a great opportunity to once again make my offer to any drug warrior out there listening to the program. We'll give you $1,200 cash money if you'll spend 15 minutes defending the policy of drug prohibition over the airwaves of the Drug Truth Network. Just send me an email to dean at drugtruth.net. And by drug warrior, I mean any police captain or above any agent of the DEA, CIA, FBI, or Justice Department, any working judge or district attorney willing to come on our show. Because I consider you drug warriors to be such complete cowards, each week or as often as we can, we prepare the following official government truth on your cowardly behalf. Let me tell you what cocaine does. According to the government, first-time cocaine users experience a feeling of euphoria that lasts 10 to 15 minutes with a small amount of cocaine. The euphoric feeling becomes more and more difficult to obtain, requiring larger amounts of cocaine. The user begins to snort the drug uncontrollably. They become erratic and violent. They can't eat or sleep. They develop serious health conditions, heart disease, strokes, seizures, even anorexia and severe bowel gangrene, and eventually die, most commonly of cardiac arrest or respiratory seizure. And that's not all. According to the DEA, cocaine is often adulterated with chalk, laundry detergent, meat tenderizer, and even rat poison. Don't believe me? Look it up at www.whitehousedrugpolicy.gov. Drug legalization advocates would have this poison in every corner store. So ask yourself this. Is that what you want? This has been Winston Francis with the official Government Truth. You know, I think Winston does a good job, but the fact is that it is the policy of prohibition 
that creates the harms he speaks of. Just as during the time of alcohol prohibition, they made bathtub gin that was making people go blind and killing them, and it was responsible for the violent gangs like Al Capone's, so too now do we have people mixing in the baby powder, the chalk, and the rat poison into these drugs, into the black market, the world's largest multi-level marketing organization that never asks for an ID and really doesn't know what's in the bag. I think you know how proud I am that the following Drug Truth Network reporter has joined forces with us. This is a man who spent 32 years serving the U.S. government as a border agent, a customs agent, and as an air interdiction officer. He retired as a GS-14, the equivalent of a bird colonel, and I am, of course, talking about Mr. Terry Nelson. The following comes from before he became a Drug Truth Network reporter when he was the guest on the Cultural Baggage Show. I first entered federal service in 1974 as a Border Patrol agent in El Paso, Texas. I served there uh, for about eight years, and in a period of time I also went to the academy as an instructor in law and operations, and deportation law and operations. And I came back and I transferred to Florida. I worked there for a year around uh, the central part of Florida, and then I, I went over to the Department of Treasury as a... Uh, custom patrol officer running the boats down in the Florida Keys for a few years. And then eventually I ended up as an inspector at uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, and from there I went over to the Aviation Marine Program. And uh, the last 10, 12 years of my career I spent in that, intercepting uh, narcotics air shipments and boat and vessel shipments into the United States. Now, Terry, the, uh, the fact is, despite your valiant efforts and that of thousands of other uh, federal officials, the flow of drugs has not been squelched. What's your thoughts, sir? Can we ever stop that flow? Well, they not only haven't been squelched, they've increased uh, every year, even though we've increased apprehensions and, I mean, uh, interdiction of the narcotics. The actual amount coming in has increased every year. So, no, we, we can't stop it. Uh, we should recognize that now because we've tried, and drugs are cheaper, more plentiful than they were 30 years ago, so how can we call it success? No, you can't legislate morality, and you can't force people to do things. So we have to find another way of, of fighting this battle because the one we're, the way we're doing it now is, is, is has failed. Leap there's a, a group of law enforcement officers that are banded together to get the message out that the drug war has failed and is doing more harm than good. I didn't think anyone fought the way I did. For years I had talked about it in meetings at work and then was told, uh, you carry out the policy of the United States government, you don't make it, which was a true statement. But uh, once I got out, I found this other group, and uh, I agreed with them, and so I first group I've ever joined, and I joined LEAP. What do you have to say to those officers out there on the border or uh, out walking the beat about this, this violent uh, situation? Tell them to keep their head down, their powder dry. It's an unwinnable situation for them. I, I believe this has probably caused uh, the public to lose a lot of respect for the police, According to chiefs of police, it's caused uh, recruiting problems to get new police officers because of this. I'm assuming it's for the lack of respect that you, one gets anymore, and some of that can probably be due to uh, you know enforcing unpopular laws. There is no justification for this drug war, none whatsoever. No medical evidence, no scientific evidence, no logic involved. Next, we hear from Drug Truth Network reporter Phil Smith. This taken from the February 19th 420 Drug War News report. This is Phil Smith of the Drug War Chronicle reporting from British Columbia with this week's corrupt cop stories for the Drug Truth Network. 
This week we're going to Oklahoma City, where Oklahoma State Attorney General Drew Edmondson announced the indictments of a former assistant district attorney on charges of drug possession and tampering with evidence, and of her office manager for attempted subordination of perjury for trying to help her beat the rap. Janet Bickle, age 49, a former Cherokee and Muscogee County prosecutor, is alleged to have grabbed a baggie of methamphetamine during a drug raid in Tahlequah in February 2005, then attempting to replace it with another baggie of speed she purchased to cover her tracks when investigators contacted her about the missing evidence. Artest Keeter, age 74, administrator at the prosecutor's office, is charged with perjury. Bickle is accused of taking evidence from a crime scene, Edmondson said. Fearing she would be caught, she then allegedly obtained more meth and tried to pass it off as the original. She also, quote, purchased methamphetamine on numerous occasions and at various locations, including at the Muscogee and Cherokee County courthouses when she was working as an assistant DA in those counties. Heater allegedly developed a static electricity theory to help Bickle explain how she went home with the meth found during the search warrant. Heater believed that the grand jury could be convinced that static electricity caused the meth to jump in and stick to the inside of her purse. As always, there are more corrupt cop stories this week. Check them out online at www.stopthedrugwar.org. The following is a Drug Truth Network editorial. They smuggle these commodities over the U.S.-Mexican border on a daily basis, sometimes in large loads in the back of 18-wheelers, but mostly through mom-and-pop smugglers of small loads in car trunks, hidden compartments, and recreational vehicles. These commodities are associated with a terrible wave of violence, that stays mostly on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande, but which also spills onto America's shores when heavily armed Mexican military or police escort drug shipments into Texas, New Mexico, and California. Too often, these commodities wind up in the hands of children. It fuels the deadly cartel's mad frenzy for power. These commodities, as reported by the Houston Chronicle, are taking a, quote, deadly toll, end quote. The prohibition of drugs is the most ignorant, superstitious, idiotic mechanism of supposed control ever put in place by mankind. The commodities I'm talking about are guns, weapons, manufactured and sold in the United States and smuggled into Mexico to ensure the drug war remains the solid success it has become for the weapons makers, the cartels, the bankers, the oil companies, the pharmaceutical houses the alcohol and tobacco companies, the cops, the district attorneys, the judges, the politicians, and all the eternal war profiteers. Because I think we need to learn more about the black perspective on the drug war, once again, this is Mr. Phil Jackson, this taken from the February 10th 420 Drug War News Report. And now another black perspective on the drug war. I vote, and I think that we should all vote. Yes, I am aware that there are several excellent arguments to be made for not voting. But as far as I'm concerned, there's one fact that outweighs all others. The people in power don't want me to vote. They've actually gone to a great deal of trouble to prevent black people from voting. Remember what came to light in Florida in 2000? Lies and intimidation to reduce the turnout, theft and destruction of ballots cast in black districts, and most memorable of all, the list of ineligible voters, a bogus book of people who had supposedly lost their right to vote, usually because of a felony conviction. 
The list was exposed as a vicious fraud, but there is a huge and growing number of black men and women who are politically disenfranchised because of a drug arrest. Politicians in urban districts should be strong advocates for black interests, but they lose their political power as more and more of the electorate becomes disenfranchised. Their influence wanes as urban blacks are shipped by the tens of thousands to rural prisons where they provide good employment and economic growth in those predominantly white districts. And how's this for cruel irony? As the inmates are losing their voting rights, their residence in these rural districts increases the population figures and thus the representation of these districts in Congress. Can our votes help to end this terrible drug war? I don't know. But if those votes were worthless, no one would bother trying to steal them now, would they? Use your vote. And for God's sake, don't lose your vote over something as foolish as drugs. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. The following segment is taken from a video produced for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And the voice you hear is that of the director of LEAP, Mr. Jack Cole. South Africa in 1993, under apartheid, they incarcerated 851 black males per 100,000. In the United States in 2004, under prohibition, we incarcerate at the rate of 4,919 black males per 100,000. Now, how anybody could look at this and not see institutionalized racism, I don't know. Again, those stats are taken from a 2004 U.S. Justice Department report, Arrests Per 100,000 Black Men. South Africa, 851. USA, 4,919. Are we winning yet? We do have some current reports coming from the Drug Truth Network reporters. So let's start with this week's report from Terry Nelson of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Information or misinformation? On his recent trip to Great Britain, according to BBC News, John Walters, United States Director of Drug Control Policy at the White House, said it was important to tell children substance abuse was not a fashion statement. He added that searches did not constitute an invasion of privacy, according to The Guardian. So our drug czar feels that it's okay to go to England and tell their government and schools that it's okay to violate U.S. kids' Fourth Amendment rights. I find this trend alarming because during my tenure as a federal law enforcement officer, we were always cautious about violating the suspect's Fourth Amendment rights, which are the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. And they shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. I cannot find where Mr. Walters has a law degree or what experience he has in constitutional law. I reviewed Mr. Walters' bio on www.whitehouse.gov and found the following paragraph. Clan Columbia has begun to mature and thrive under Mr. Walters' purview. In 2003, over 130,000 hectares of mature coca were sprayed and eradicated in Columbia where, at the start of the year, approximately 145,000 hectares had been planted. This strategic accomplishment prevented the production of over 500 metric tons of cocaine, sufficient to supply all of the cocaine addicts in both U.S. and Europe for one year. Further, it eliminated upwards of 100 million in illicit income that supports narco-terrorism in Colombia. Either this statement is intentionally misleading, 
or we have wiped out the drug cartels in Colombia and we can now declare victory. However, further research located the following statement from Colombian Vice President Francisco Santos back in June of this year. He said, For a long time, the statistics on eradication of illicit crops have been mistaken. It's incredible that nobody has realized that Colombia produces much more cocaine than the reports say. He was responding to the release of a report on his country's cocaine production conducted by the U.S., United Nations, and Colombian experts at the request of the Colombian government. Now, the Colombian news weekly, Cambio, has published an article based on that report, and the rest of us get to understand what Santos was talking about. According to the report, the Colombian police estimate, estimate was 497 tons in 2005. The U.S. estimated 545 tons, and the U.N. estimated 640 tons. But the authors of this most recent report estimate that cocaine production last year was actually a staggering 776 tons, or nearly half again as much as the U.S. or Colombian police estimates. From this inconsistent information, it is apparent that we, as citizens, must be more vigilant about what our leaders tell us. What is the solution? Educate and inform yourselves. Ask tough questions of elected officials. It's time for a change. Together, let's find a solution for our future. This is Terry Nelson on behalf of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition at www.leap.cc, signing off. And this week's report from Doug McVeigh. Here's some good news for a change. In 2002, a methadone clinic opened in Pikesville, Maryland, a suburb in Baltimore County. Residents in the area decided they didn't want a treatment facility in their neighborhood, so they got the county to pass a zoning restriction, which prohibited state-licensed facilities, including methadone treatment centers, from opening within 750 feet of any residence. This week, a federal court found that the county's zoning restriction discriminates against the addicted, a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. The county tried to argue that the zoning law applied to any sort of facility, so they weren't really targeting people with substance abuse problems. Thankfully, the judge and jury were not convinced. At last report, the county is still considering whether or not to appeal the ruling. The area's major newspaper, the Baltimore Sun, said in an editorial this week that, quote, After prolonging this court fight, county officials should accept defeat and make adjustments to the law. The same lesson should also apply to Baltimore, which is considering legislation to get rid of its discriminatory zoning standard for treatment centers. And county officials in particular should be mindful of their broad duty to all residents and provide adequate substance abuse treatment without violating anti-discrimination laws, end quote. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. When Bush assumed the presidency in 2001, Afghan annual heroin production was about 18 tons. Last year, after four years of American occupation, it had skyrocketed to 500 tons and accounted for 92% of world supply. Incredibly, Western authorities have just announced that this year Afghan opium cultivation increased 40% from 2005. A senior advisor to the head of the U.S. Central Command confirmed recently that proceeds from the illegal trade are, in his words, aiding and abetting the enemy. A leading AIDS researcher warned this week that HIV is now spreading most rapidly in Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and the former Soviet Union, and blamed the tremendous increase in Afghan heroin production for the regional epidemic. The trumpet, 
A publication of the Church of Latter-day Saints puts it this way, quote, Afghanistan is devolving into one of America's worst geopolitical nightmares, end quote. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. In the play Othello, Shakespeare writes, Who steals my purse steals trash. Tis something, nothing. Twas mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. In modern-day America, a person's good name is not as important as it once was. Instead, we have criminal records and credit reports. These digital reputations are almost inescapable, and a negative notation can make life miserable and haunt one to one's grave. A prison record for drugs is a particularly nasty scarlet letter to be branded with. Fortunately for some, a drug arrest does not necessarily mean a prison term will follow. For whom, you ask? Well, in North Dakota, blacks are sent to prison only twice as often as whites, while in Illinois, the ratio is 57 to 1. Yes, in America today, equal protection under the law is a fraud. Justice is class and race dependent, and families and friends of the rich and powerful have little to fear from the law. Right here in Houston, the daughter of our own Mayor Bill White was recently popped for drunk driving. Will she have her license suspended? Or will it be another case of white privilege? For the rich and powerful, there are always alternatives that allow one's good name to remain unstained. A very powerful person might even be able to erase their record completely and start anew. Why, such a person could even go on to become president someday. But for the black, the brown, and the poor... Almost any involvement with the police has the potential to result in a permanent record, the loss of their good names forever hindering access to housing, employment, and credit, and ensuring that they remain evermore poor indeed. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Phil Jackson. This is Phil Smith of the Drug War Chronicle with this week's Corrupt Cop Stories. Or actually this week, we have a judge with a bad habit. In Lowndes County, Mississippi, an Alabama judge has been arrested on methamphetamine possession charges, the Tuscaloosa News reported. Pickens County, Alabama, District Judge Ira Colvin was arrested Monday by Lowndes County Sheriff's deputies at the same time they arrested a 36-year-old woman, not his wife, on the same charges but in a separate vehicle. According to the Associated Press, Colvin was arrested as deputies investigated people driving from store to store to buy meth precursor materials. They found in his car precursors, a gram of powder meth, and two syringes filled with liquid meth. Colvin's wife, Christy Colvin, was arrested on meth possession charges four months ago in Columbus, Mississippi, as she drove around town purchasing ingredients that could be used to make meth. Judge Colvin, who was appointed to the bench in December 2002 to replace a judge who resigned after being accused of improper contact with females involved in cases before his court, was indicted on a federal bankruptcy fraud charge in May 2004 for allegedly hiding assets for a client in 2001. But that charge was dropped after Colvin apologized. He's currently in jail awaiting a bail hearing. There is much more strange corrupt cop behavior this week, not your run-of-the-mill stuff. Check it out online at www.stopthedrugwar.org. As we're closing out today's Century of Lies, it occurs to me that I should alert the affiliates out there on the network that it's pledge season here at the Mothership, and we offer a lot of great uh, pledge incentives. 
at a great price. And if you're ordering just a few for free, we have the We've Been Duped CD featuring the uh, words of scientists, judges, and the like. We have Drug War Light, which features uh, comedians and uh, musicians and some public service announcements from the Drug Truth Network. We've had other incentives along the way, such as the George Bush voodoo doll, the uh, Dick Cheney patriotic pin cushion. And for this fall season, we're going to produce a one-hour video, DVD, which is going to feature interviews with many of these same notables and some of the video I'll be capturing in Seattle at the Hemp Fest. If you're a program director or programmer out there using our programs and you'd like to learn more about this, just shoot me an email to dean at drugtruth.net. Once again, I state that there is no truth, justice, logic, scientific fact, medical data. In fact, there is no reason whatsoever for this drug war to continue. Another second, we have been duped. The drug lords run both sides of this equation. Please do your part to end this madness. Visit our website, nprohibition.org. Prohibido Istak Ivalesco. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Dean Becker asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition. The century of lies. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Our engineer, Philip Guthman.